Welcome to the Life is a Ceremony podcast by Petiti Institute. We're inspired to share practical insights to engage everyday life as an evolutionary journey. Every moment is an opportunity to practice. If you would like to send us a question or a comment or a donation, you're welcome to visit www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. Today, Roman will be answering a number of questions we have been receiving from our global community with topics including the guardians of the wombs, why healing should be joyful and not daunting, remembrance of your true self, and the practice of not fixing. Hi everyone, this is Roman. Today we have our Life as a Ceremony with Community. The questions that I'll be reflecting on today, we've had three questions shared with us recently and they're actually all tying in perfectly within a common theme that is often coming up for people. So I'll be reflecting on some of those questions and I think it will be relevant to many of our friends. The first question is, we often speak of healing as some sort of process which one goes through to release a disturbance, obscuring one's life experience as a human being. When does one stop healing oneself? If all is bound by impermanence, and so there will always be something to heal, new layers of old layers, healing oneself as this present human experience, healing intergenerational wounds passed on, healing society, healing Mother Earth, when does it ever stop? What is the ultimate healing and how does one get there? What purpose does tools such as ceremonies, ayahuasca and other plant medicines and external therapies, remembrance practice or breathwork serve then? A really good question. When do we ever stop healing? What is it that actually we are healing? And all of those practices and tools and plant medicines and indigenous ceremonies, what purpose do they serve within this healing journey? So the healing process, to reflect on it, within these ancient traditions, the healing has several stages. The first stage of the healing process has to do with purification. And what is it actually that we are purifying? What is being purified is the resistance to life. What is being purified is this uh, elaborate cover-up, just not knowing how to deal with certain experiences and creating many different ways to avoid dealing with them. Coping mechanisms, distractions, all kinds of different ways just not to face the issues that are coming up. And so initially starting to purify that, starting to recognize that it's possible. There is a glimmer of hope that starts to arise within each of us, that it's actually possible to fully face all of the circumstances, all of the challenges in life. And then noticing very ingrained patterns of resistance. And so initially starting to notice all of those automatic modes of behavior, all of those impulsive reactions 
as soon as something happened, reaching towards a familiar comfort zone. I don't want to deal with this particular experience. I'm not open to this. I don't know how to engage with a particular tension or discomfort or a conflict in my life. And so then noticing very automatically embedded patterns of behavior and then starting to become more aware of that. So initially there is that process of purifying very habitual ways of unconscious response to life situations. Then starting to notice that the healing becomes more and more about this experience-based trust in the capacity to face gradually increasing challenges. And instead of hiding, starting to become more and more aware. And in that way, the healing then starts to go into the next phase, which is not based on a problem. The healing is no longer something that is uncomfortable, something that is disturbing. Oh, do I have to heal again? That's not something that sounds so pleasant. But actually, after the initial purification phase, the healing process starts to have more of a enjoyment type of connotation. Here, this is a healing where I can actually open up and receive the love, receive the nourishment, receive the nurture, see that I can tune in into that capacity, recognize that the healing that initially was about just opening up now is about absorbing the well-being, absorbing the unconditional love that becomes more and more tangible in one's life. And so then the healing starts to have this much more enjoyable association and connotation in one's life. The focus is shifting from being bothered to actually being nurtured, being embraced. Then after that phase of the healing process, then there is the next phase of the healing where the healing is no longer something that one is receiving passively. Okay, I'm opening up to this healing that I can experience in myself, but then the next phase has to do with actually generating healing. Okay, not only that I can receive this healing and I can feel myself nourished by it, but I can overflow with this healing to such an extent that I can begin to share it with the environment that I'm in. And so then once again the healing starts to have another connotation where I can actually share that. It's being generated and one is overflowing with this healing and so then is no longer receiving healing but it's sharing the healing. Here, during the sharing of the healing, there is continuous fulfillment, greater and greater fulfillment of being able to actually be of benefit, actually seeing others benefiting from one's own openness, from one's own experience, and then starting to find happiness in the happiness of others. And then, of course, it has to do with the continuous 
awakening to greater and greater states of well-being. And so in that way, the healing is no longer something that is so daunting. The healing becomes a very joyful experience. And for me, it's something that I relate to the capacity of falling more and more deeply in love into infinity. There's always deeper levels of love that this heart is capable of. And there is no end to that. And there is an immense beauty within that. And so this is something that within the indigenous traditions is referred to as evolutionary healing. Yes, there are continuously new layers. And at the same time, the way that one engages with the healing journey is very different. The new layers start to relate to blossoming, just like a flower that is gradually more and more opening up to this infinite light of the universe. In the same way, then, within each one of us, there is this capacity to feel love to open up to all of the experiences and then each challenge that is also greater then enables a greater capacity to be open and to see that there is even more love that is available for us to tap into. And so this is something that relates to the evolutionary healing journey within the traditions that we work with. And then all the tools are helping to work with that, whether it's the ceremonies or the master plans, the different therapies, it's all gearing towards this remembrance of one's own capacity to circulate this unconditional state of heart presence. This is something we've all experienced since we've been in the mother's womb and potentially even beforehand. And then returning into that unconditional state and learning how to experience it consciously within all life circumstances. And then of course going through all of those phases at first, tapping into this experience of being a child in the mother's womb and then being nourished, being nurtured, being held and then gradually recognizing that capacity to nurture, that motherly love that is holding the child and it is also within each one of us. There is a child and then there is the mother within each one of us and then of course the child is related to this evolutionary awe, the curiosity, receptivity, learning, falling down, getting up, and having that unconditional love to continue exploring what is possible within one's life. And then the father is that light of consciousness that shows that it is possible to bring that love into greater and greater consciousness within all life situations. And so that's something that the indigenous cultures encourage to bring into one's own life situation, to make it real, to not keep it in the realm of separate occasion or some kind of exotic experience, but to really see how it is directly related to everyday life situations. This brings us into the next question, which is... uh, Can you please talk about the practice of not fixing? I feel that not fixing allows for the discovery of what is truly there and try as much as possible to not fix, particularly not to fix other people and just hold space. But concerning my own health and body, I end up in a dance between not fixing and also taking medicines 
taking herb and visualizing what I want to happen and channeling life energy, essentially fixing. Here are my questions. Is there really such a thing as creating or is there only discovery? I can feel that the identification with the mind and the beliefs there can castrate the life force and stop it from healing, which it does naturally. But when I visualize light and healing and it physically changes my body, is that not just the discovery of the mind and the creative force there? Where is the heart in this? When do we act? Are we here in a more embodied way if we never act and only let be? Does it matter as long as there is awareness? Will one way ease more suffering? So this is also a great question which follows the previous one. And so this is the practice of not fixing that um, also is engaged within these traditions. And the practice of not fixing, it doesn't mean that one shouldn't be doing anything. More than anything, not fixing has to do with finding a place of acceptance within oneself, coming to terms with one's situation, so that it's possible to approach those situations, not from a frantic or fear-based kind of frame of mind, but from a place of openness, love and objectivity. Not fixing was an essential practice within my own healing journey. So when I was initially diagnosed with a chronic genetic and terminal illness about 30 years ago, then yeah, I tried to fix for a long time and engaging with the allopathic Western medicine approach of fixing, fixing, covering up the symptoms, trying not to deal with it, looking at it as just some kind of a random condition, being a victim within those circumstances, feeling like I don't deserve to have a certain problem that I was experiencing and suffering immensely because of that, and uh, not seeing any meaning or purpose to that. Why should I take responsibility for something that I wasn't responsible for? or did not deserve in my life. Then gradually tuning in into this ancient holistic perspectives towards healing and seeing how the first step towards healing is purifying the resistance that I have towards a condition that I'm experiencing and learning to see it as part of myself instead of trying to avoid and get rid of it and thinking that it's something that is not a part of me. And so then initially it had to do with just opening up and not trying to get rid of it and breathing love into a problem in my body, a problem in my life. Of course, the greatest pains in my experience are not the physical ones, but they are the pains of life journey, the pains of loss of loved ones, the pain that comes through all kinds of conflictual relationships, encounters, situations of life when there is just a feeling of betrayal, failure, loss, discovery of all of the shadows in one's life that one is not able to deal with. Then the practice of not fixing is also a practice of bringing the heart into those situations, the capacity to be present with all of those shadow kind of experiences that one does not want to deal with. And then being present with those experiences enough to start seeing a hidden wisdom within them. 
this illness that I had in my life, I later discovered it to be a blessing in disguise. But I had to be present with it long enough and not just frantically try to avoid it in order to actually discover that blessing in disguise. And so then coming to terms with it, initially just being with it, breathing into this area of my life, feeling all of those different emotions, feelings, and not trying to avoid them, and then gradually bringing greater oxygenation, blood circulation, openness, accepting that problematic part of me to actually be part of myself that I could embrace, bring it into the greater organism for it to be healed. Where beforehand, because on a psychological level I wanted to get rid of it and push it away and avoid it, then on a physical level I was also preventing the breath from going into that area it was in my belly and with that the blood circulation and fresh oxygen and the healing agent and then it would just get worse and worse and so then the not fixing had to do actually with activating the natural healing already available within this organism and the way to activate it was to not try to fix it and just open up and be with it. This also has to do with the previous question of the healing. It's not something that one has to force oneself to do. It comes from opening up. There is this term homeostasis in allopathic medicine, the dynamic equilibrium, the body is always striving towards well-being, but for that one has to let it. One has to get out of one's own way and allow the body to actually start healing. The practice of not fixing has to do with this opening up, coming to terms, coming to acceptance with where one is at, and then allowing that well-being to start being cultivated. The practice of not fixing also doesn't mean that is only passive. Okay, I'm not supposed to do anything. It's okay to take herbs and to work with one's diet and to eat healthy and to take care of oneself and to engage in all kinds of healing modalities. But the point here is not to do it from a place of anxiety, fear and avoidance, but to do it from a place of openness, from a place of well-being, from a place of love. So that's what not fixing is about, okay? I'm not gonna try to fix it and be very tense about it. First and foremost, I'm going to cultivate this inner harmony and then this inner harmony will actually allow me to see more objectively how to treat a particular issue in my life, how to approach it from a place of objectivity. Love is contributing to objectivity, to clarity. If I'm really bothered about something and I'm so tense that I cannot relax and see what it's about, then most likely I will not approach the situation in a very constructive way. But if I can actually relax and be with it and not let myself be bothered by a particular issue in my life, then I can actually have the space and the time to really see what it's about, to see what is at the root of it and then engage with it from this place of openness, from clarity, objectivity, and then really get to the root. So the practice of not fixing has to do first and foremost with this spaciousness, with this foundation of presence, of well-being, of heart-centeredness that allows 
the issues to be engaged with in a way that is actually meaningful. So this is something that has to do with the practice of not fixing and how the ascension traditions relate to it. First and foremost, it's essential to get rid of this underlining anxiety, this vicious cycle, this hamster wheel, being stuck in this mentality of constantly needing to do something and then starting to cultivate inner peace, cultivate well-being so that then the healing can follow. In this ancient traditions, it's a human being, it's, a, it's not a human doing. First, be well and then do everything else, rather than how often people approach it in our modern society, where first I'm going to do something and then I'm going to be happy. And then there is never an end to that. There is always something else to do. And that, of course, includes the healing journey. First, I'm going to do something and then I'm going to heal. Instead, first I'm going to be at peace with what is. And then, naturally, the healing takes place. First I'm going to be happy and then I'm going to heal. Not first I'm going to heal and then I'm going to be happy. So, the happiness here relates to this capacity to come to terms with wherever one is at in one's life. Inevitably, we all go through these experiences in life. Getting sick, getting old, losing loved ones, experiencing all the ups and downs. This is all part of this life. So rather than avoiding those situations, thinking that it's not okay to go through them, opening our hearts to all experiences of life and then naturally discovering how the heart is awakened, how through those challenges I can start to relate to all of the people in my life and then become more tolerant, more patient, more generous, more compassionate and find a lot of happiness and freedom within that shared heart. So this is something that is related to not fixing. The next question, which this naturally brings us into, Reviewing an old journal from the Embodying True Nature Retreat, I wrote, The journey of remembrance is working with the guardians of the wounds. The guardians come from not knowing trust in your own inner truth, in who you really are, trust in openness, trust in unconditional and unlimited love. I was hoping you could speak more about these guardians of the wounds. So this question again, very much is in sync with the previous two questions. So the journey of remembrance. In these traditions, uh, the remembrance is not just remembering in one's head everything that happened in one's life, but it's the energetic remembrance. It's this remembrance of childlike being, the remembrance of awe, the remembrance of openness, innocence, vulnerability, tenderness. And of course, those qualities in the indigenous culture from the Amazon and the Andes and from other parts of the world, those qualities are related to essential humanity. In our modern world, those qualities are often considered to have a negative connotation. Okay, if I'm vulnerable and innocent and tender, that means that somebody can take advantage of me. I can be harmed, living in this very 
harsh world where it's not okay to have pain. If I have pain, then it means that I am easily brought off balance, that I can be thrown off, that somebody can use my weakness to their advantage. It's not okay to not know. If I show others that I don't know, then I will be ridiculed. I will be brushed aside. And so then, from a young age, in order to survive in this society, needing to put up some kind of a mask to have a front. Okay, I'm going to pretend like everything is fine. How are you? I'm fine. Nothing is wrong. There is no problem. I cannot show that I don't know something. Yeah, I pretend that I have an idea of what is happening. And then, of course, because of pretending that, then not being able to truly learn, to truly be open and receptive. And sometimes forgetting that one is not the mask that one is putting on. And this has to do with the guardians, okay? Initially those masks, they were put on in order to protect this vulnerable, innocent, tender essence. Those masks, those fronts, those personalities, all those constructs of behavior, they were created as fortresses to protect that vulnerable, tender innocence that is the core of who each one of us is. And then maintaining that fortress for so long, then that fortress becoming so articulate, so well established, that at a certain point not even being able to tap into that vulnerable, tender essence oneself. And then the fortress becomes one's own jail. Of course it has to do with all of those situations in life where there was this experience of doubting that innocence, doubting that tender heart, not finding a confirmation for that in the world around, and then seeing everyone else hiding within their own different personality constructs. And so then that guardian of the wound is kind of like a scar tissue, this hardened scar tissue. Okay, I don't know how to deal with this tender, vulnerable innocence. It feels very hard to bring that into the world. And so I'm going to harden around it. I'm going to build that wall around it. And then that wall is a guardian, is that fortress that initially had a purpose. It was constructed with a purpose. Okay, I don't know how to bring that essential essence of who I am into the world and I have to protect it until I know better and then forgetting. So this again has to do with the remembrance practice. It has to do with this healing journey. Okay, now that I am more aware, I can go back into those situations and see how when I was a child and I didn't have any reference point. There was no one around in the circumstances of my life to reaffirm that original essence to be the truth of who I am. Now I can return to that and I can begin to trust this tender innocence to be the real nature of who I am. I no longer have to be afraid of it. And I can nourish that essence 
and bring that essence into more and more difficult situations, not from a place of doubt, not from a place of victimhood or not knowing, but from a place of compassion. And then engage with others who may be distraught, needing to resort to all of those different habitual patterns and all kinds of different reactive modes of behavior that are harmful to themselves and others. And not think that it's those people who are bad or are doing this intentionally to harm others. But seeing how it's that same issue of not knowing how to trust in that original tenderness and innocence. There are experiences in different societies, in ancient societies, societies that are close to nature, where small children that had that full confidence in their innocence and tenderness, and then those children wandering off into the wild natural environment and encountering all kinds of ferocious animals, and the ferocious animals would actually kneel down in front of that innocence, would actually take those children in and take care of them, not harm them. Just because those children were so unconditionally open. And then all of those ferocious animals seeing that that's the source of life. That's what all of that ferociousness has been birthed to actually protect and how that innocence and that receptivity, the openness, the tenderness, the love, that's the greatest power in the universe. And at the same time, the healing journey is about recovering that original trust that is based on experience. I can bring that essence. I can melt all of those different scar tissues. I can soften around the scar tissues and then gradually discover that power that is hiding within them. And that's also part of the maturation journey. So those scar tissues, those guardians, those walls that we put up around ourselves, in a way they are also the cocoon that is formed around the butterfly, around the caterpillar. One needs those walls so that one can gradually come into the maturity of actually bringing that essence into everyday life. Those guardians, they also have their purpose. Those scar tissues, all of those limitations, all of those unresolved issues in our lives, the tensions, the pains, gradually come into terms with them. Again, this relates to the not-fixing practice. Okay, until I know how to do it myself, I have all of those different constructs of personality. I have all of those rigid ways of behavior. I have all of those tensions in my body. The body is compensating for the unresolved emotional issues in my life. Until I'm willing to actually take over. Okay, I'm no longer needing those guardians, because I can be fully present with those tensions. I can open my heart to all of the problems in my life. I can bring greater and greater acceptance and melt down all of those walls of resistance. The guardians, they can be let go 
from their employment. They can retire. They have served their purpose. But for that I have to be fully present with the guardians. Okay, the, this tension in my life, that's a guardian. That's a reminder that my capacity to love is being matured. And then when I can be fully present with that tension and not make it wrong and not make another tension on top of it, then that tension can be dissolved. The capacity of that nurturing, tender, soft, innocent present that is not judging the pain, that is not judging one's own ignorance or not knowing, then can take over this limitation, this guardian in one's life. So this has to do with um, the guardians of the wounds, those scar tissues that have hardened and have become that cocoon, helping the seed of the heart to sprout. Again, this has to do with the journey of remembrance. Remembering that the child in the mother's womb goes through all kinds of growing pains, literally needing to grow new limbs, which can be a very difficult, challenging process. Even after being born from the mother's womb and going through growing pains and teeth coming out and all kinds of things, I'm witnessing that right now in our child and at the same time having that unconditional love being present fully through all of the kicking and screaming. And so this is something within each one of us that has to be remembered. Each one of us has this capacity of unconditional love, has this unconditional loving motherly nature. Nature is who we are and it's up to us to remember that. Each one of us has this inner child that is kicking and screaming sometimes. Each one of us has this light of consciousness that can point to our capacity to be fully present with that unconditional heart of nature. This is the family, the reciprocity. And then to see how this is actually related to everyone in our lives. Some people can feel like those guardians that are poking into all of those unresolved issues. Some people can feel like those children who are kicking and screaming. Some people can have that role in our lives that can be more nurturing for us. Some people can have that purpose of shining the light and helping us to see what is possible. So this is that journey of remembrance and so it has to do with realization. In these traditions, these are traditions of realization, of awakening, of remembering. They are not traditions of personal development, of self-accomplishment. It's not about creating new constructs, it's about returning into that original inherent nature of unconditional love, which is who each one of us is, underneath all of the covers. And so in that way it's a journey of realization, awakening to what has been there all along. Not needing 
to accomplish anything or get anywhere or become someone. It's quite different than a lot of the modern approaches of needing to do something about it, needing to get somewhere. So just awakening to that capacity, to that unconditional nature that comes through the softness, the tenderness, the openness, the childlike nature. And then through that childlike nature, being able to channel the might of the whole universe. But for that, there has to be an opening. There has to be receptivity, not pushing, not clinging, and then being able to harness, to be a conduit of that healing force of nature. Otherwise, if I just pretend to be strong and instead be very fearful and very closed in, then it's a very shallow kind of strength. There is no real greatness about it. It's this uh, cover-up of strength where inside there is a lot of fear and unresolved issues and it's just an appearance of it. So the real strength in this tradition is found within one's greatest weakness. I can be brave enough to be vulnerable and not cover up and not hide. And then within that, find the power of the heart that comes through this recognition of oneself in others and openness to the greater organism, to see how there is that great love that transcends all borders, all limits, all appearances, and we all share that. This kind of power is something that can only be shared and can only be brought to the benefit of the greater whole. The tree can grow so tall and so mighty because it's not against anyone. It's growing for the benefit of the whole organism. So those are the three questions that came up recently and it's always amazing how they do come in sync. We haven't modified or changed. Those are the questions that came up for this talk and they are all very much in sync and it's great to see how our greater community people from different places in the world one person asking this question is from the middle east another person asking this question is from canada another person is from the u.s and at the same time those questions are very much in line and would be interesting to see how other people in our community are actually asking themselves about similar topics in their lives. We have a question. Okay, so someone has another question on this specific topic. Okay, let me see. How does unconditional love relate to a person who is projecting anger or other unpleasant emotions onto you? How is it possible to navigate through that, maintaining compassion, but while not being someone's weeping boy, okay? Mm, I related to that a little bit in terms of seeing how people who are disturbed, people who are angry, they also are expressing those disturbances through the ignorance of 
not knowing any better, not knowing how to trust in that original tenderness, associating that innocence with woundedness because of experiencing others who project their anger as a way of defense, right? Some people have that kind of mentality where the attack is the best defense and then doing the same thing. And so this is that vicious cycle, the chain reaction of pain causing more pain and then breaking that chain not operating in that kind of habitual mode okay i no longer have to keep doing that somebody hurts me so then i have to hurt someone else and instead actually cultivating that power of the tender heart and so of course that doesn't mean that uh, I have to be meek and I have to allow myself to just be abused. But uh, being present with a situation, the love doesn't have to be, in my experience, fluffy kind of love. It can be compassion that is very firm. It can be a type of compassion that is not intimidated and is not affected by the degree of woundedness that the other person expresses. Because underneath that anger, there is that unresolved wound that that individual is showing. In a way, it's this deep cry for help. Look, look at this pain that I'm experiencing. And because I'm experiencing this pain and I don't know how to deal with it, I feel justified to inflict that pain onto the world. This is what I have to share. This is, I have nothing else in my life. And then inflicting that pain onto the world, in a way, it's a cry for help. And so then, if I am able to actually be fully present to that cry for help, and not be intimidated by it, and not be affected by it, then I can respond to it. Then I can show, actually, it's possible to be fully present and to not be intimidated. It has to do also with this ability to engage with situations, not from a place of a charge, not from a place of reaction. In that way, it's like a surgeon who is doing the operation, who is engaging with the surgery and is doing it with a lot of clarity and objectivity. That's the compassion. Compassion is not emotional in these traditions, is not affected by an emotion. There has to be this clarity and objectivity, just like a surgeon who is treating a disease and then is able to actually see the root of it and then have enough clarity and the firmness of the hand to deal with the situation. That requires a good amount of practice because those people, in a way, they are those shadow guards. They can be those jail guardians that keep poking. Okay, am I able to fully withstand that pain, that intensity that this person is dealing with all the time and is projecting at me in this situation? Am I able to trust within the capacity of that original essence that is unconditional and be firm in this situation? and not react, but actually respond to it from a place of compassion. And again, not in a way where I just justify this person or allow them to keep doing that, but in a way where I can actually engage with them and pierce through their own veil, 
through their own front, their own armor. Otherwise, if it's not possible, then that's also a good opportunity to have motivation. Okay, this person is pointing me to something that I have to really look at. And until I can really engage with this person from this clear and objective place and really deal with that energy from deep within myself, until then I can wish them to be happy from as far away as possible from me and continue to root myself in that steady presence in the face of all circumstances of life. Of course, if somebody is really disturbing to me and is bringing something to me that I am really challenged by, essentially, how would I not be disturbed if it wasn't something also present within myself? This anger that is being projected that I cannot deal with is also something that is part of the energies of my own organism. Each one of us is capable of the same range of feelings and emotions. And in this way, everyone in our lives can actually be a reminder of that. How can I be a conduit of the heart? How can I open the heart to be the master of all of those feelings and emotions, no matter how intense, and then see how all of those emotions can be brought into the service of the heart, just like those ferocious animals that can be so ferocious. And at the same time, like I shared in this talk earlier, actually succumb to the tender innocence of children. So that's the essence of this ancient traditions. And again, it's easier said than done. And within these traditions, there are blueprints of consciousness evolution that take us through all of the different traps of the mind and all of those elaborate self-deceptions, all those cover-ups that have been developed over a lifetime of deliberately trying to avoid the issues that have not been thought possible to deal with. And so then starting with this recognition that actually all of those issues that I have thought my whole life were impossible to deal with. All of those pains, all of those problems, all of those situations in myself and in the world that have felt so overwhelming. Actually, it's possible to be fully present with them, to not be intimidated, to not be overwhelmed. That capacity, that potential is within each one of us. And so this Living wisdom traditions, direct transmission lineages, have been around for thousands of years and they have been maintained through real people dealing with real issues in their lives and been able to overcome those issues by fully rooting themselves in that original, unconditional truth of being. And so this is something that in my own life I have found to be very true and am continuously practicing and cultivating those abilities and continuously learning and healing and being inspired by 
all of our friends from all of our community from around the world. So I'm being very grateful and thankful to everyone who are watching this and will watch it. I am continuously inspired more and more to be in service to our community of friends and helpers on the way to this real power of the heart. So thank you everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a question about what was shared today or wish to ask a question for us to cover in the future, please visit www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. May all beings be happy and free.